Well, at the risk of sounding, uh, every pastor says this, every preacher says this, but today's message is a very important one. I would hope you believe that every single uh, Sunday when you come to hear the Word of God being preached, because in a very real sense, the, today's message is always the most important message as God speaks to us. But I believe that today's message really has a, a practical uh, application to it that is of great importance for us. In his letter to, to the believers in the, in the book of James, to those believers that have been, uh, had been scattered throughout the world because of uh, persecution, he instructs the Christians reading the letter to take note of God's providence, to take note of how God uh, provides for his people. In James chapter 5, verse 13, James says to, to the believers that, Is any among you uh, suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone joyful? Let him sing praises. And that is indeed one of the greatest blessings of the Christian life. I would say that it is the way of Christian living The greatest blessing, of the, one of the greatest blessings of the Christian life is the assurance uh, that the Bible gives us that even the, the most adverse of circumstances, even the most trialing of, 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 uh, of providences are working together for our good. The cooperating for the greater good of the soul and the believer. That even the worst of, uh, of the most adverse of circumstances have a, a teaching function, a didactic function for the believer. That in some way, in some form, those things contribute to our Christian edification, to our Christian nourishment and nurture. That it, indeed, uh, as James says at the beginning of, of the letter, we can count it all joy. Count it all joy. Do you understand what James says there at the beginning? Count it all joy when you undergo these things. Take joy in passing through all these various trials, these various tribulations, knowing that indeed it produces persever perseverance. Are you able to be grateful when you go through sufferings, when you go through tribulations, when you go through trials? Are you even able, as Paul and Silas did in this passage, to praise God? That is very much what we are going to be focusing on this morning. In the preceding sermons, in the, in the last few weeks, we've been considering the, first, uh, the second missionary journey of Paul uh, as they went uh, through Asia Minor into Europe in Philippi. We saw the conversion of Lydia uh, as the Holy Spirit opened her heart. Uh, last week we saw this uh, young woman, uh, a slave girl possessed by a spirit of divination, uh, being uh, freed uh, by the power of Christ. And in the passage that we have before us today, we see the unfolding, what unfolds from that deliverance of that slave girl. 
We see the, the accusation of the masters of that slave girl having been uh, brought into financial ruin by the, by the power of Christ. So we see a per prosecution. We see also the, the reaction of the civil authorities, of the, the magistrates, uh, in the penalties that they, they've put uh, Paul and Silas under. But most importantly, and the the, the, really the part I want us to focus on, we see Paul and Silas, the ministers of God. Although imprisoned, in jail, in their first European city, uh, in the first European city that they visited with the, with the gospel, they were able to pray and to praise God. So penalties, uh, no, prosecution, penalties, and prayers and praise. So prosecution, we read uh, in verse um, 19 that upon the release of this young slave girl's uh, possession, the masters of that uh, diviners, uh, of that diviner girl took issue with it. And their reaction was shrewd, and it was immediate, and it was very cunning. They realized that after the young woman's deliverance from the power of the demon, that they lost all their uh, income. Because that uh, young woman was, was no longer able to tell the future. And there is a, a subtle wordplay here by, by Luke, uh, when the, the, the demon comes out of her, and the same word is used then in verse 19, that at the same time that the demon went out, their prophet was gone out as well. So they, they were unable to receive payment for the, serv uh, the services of that slave girl anymore. So they seized Paul and Silas. They took them to the town square, to the marketplace, to the agora. The center, uh, the town, uh, the marketplace, the, the town center would be the center of social, political, of cultural, economic life of a city. Very much the place where everything and everyone would go, and everything would happen and everyone would go. So they took them there. They took them into the presence of the local authorities. They are the magistrates. Some translations, uh, older ones, say that they are the praetors, the, the, the higher-ups, the, the, uh, the people with the most authority in any given Roman city, Roman colony, would be the praetors. So they took them in front of the praetors, in, the, in, in front of the civil magistrates. And before them, they, they brought the following charges. They said that Paul and Silas were disturbing the public peace the public order, that they were pr promoting customs that were contrary to, to the Roman custom. And in a sense, many commentators agree here, there is a, a, a shrewdness, there is a, there, that's why I'm using the shrewd uh, as a word for what the masters of the young girl did, because being a Roman colony, it was inhabited mostly by Romans, especially by uh, former retired soldiers. There is a certain sense here where, where the uh, appellation, uh, the prosecution, the accusation being made against Paul and Silas is one of uh, a, a severe nationalistic bent. He, uh, they know their audience. They know that they are speaking to very nationalistic, very proud Romans. So they appeal to that. 
Philippi, as any other Roman imperial colony, would be populated mostly by veterans of the Roman uh, 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 army. But the reality is that it is all a fallacy. It is all a fallacy. This, the, Paul and Silas and, and Timothy and Luke did nothing wrong, nothing against Roman custom. We know Roman law. It is very well established. Uh, every, uh, uh, we have access to the, to the customs and to the, to the laws in place. What Paul and Silas and, and, his compa- and their companions were doing was nothing against, the Roman, uh, against Roman law. Matthew Henry, I, I love how he expresses it here. He said, if they disturbed the city, he's, uh, Matthew Henry says, it was like an angel who stirred up the waters of the pool of Bethesda in order to heal. There was no real disturbance of the peace. And moreover, their accusers had no concern about Roman law. We see nothing of a defense being uh, uh, afforded to, to Paul and to Silas. They got summarily judged and sent to prison. That is indeed against Roman custom. Everyone would have a, a, an opportunity of a fair hearing according to Roman law. But nonetheless, this did not happen here. If they were so concerned about preserving the customs and the, and the traditions of their, of their empire, they would have given... Uh, Paul and Silas an opportunity to defend themselves. As often has occurred both before in the, in the history of the church and as we go through the book of Acts, we see that again, that is a very well-established principle. Paul will defend himself in front of, uh, of the governor at one point. The problem here was not the customs. We know this from reading the, the, the narrative, that the problem was not that the Romans uh, and that the masters of this slave girl were, were upset because customs and the, the Roman law was broken. No, the problem was that they got, they got uh, short-handed. They, they now have a, a financial problem in their hands, and they're upset about it. They lost their source of income. And again, something similar will happen in Ephesus when we get to, that, to, to Ephesus, where the preaching of the gospel will undermine uh, the, the profit of that superstitious religion. In the case of Ephesus, he's uh, connected to the, to the cult of the goddess Diana. So indeed, it was uh, a, a fallacious uh, argument And in a sense, as we spoke last week, it is a reflection of Satan's uh, sagacity and fallacy. He is indeed the father of lies, the father of deceit. Again, as as we go through this, we see clearly the spiritual conflict going on. The same devil that had uh, inspired that slave girl to previously uh, uh, flatter Paul with smooth and sweet-sounding words, seeing that he got nowhere with it, now provokes the fury of her masters, intending to kill him. The intention of the devil here is to quench and to stop any kind of advance of the kingdom of God in Europe. And we see the lies that he says 
in the accusations that are leveled against Paul and Silas. Because at, at the heart of it, it was not even a financial issue, was it? At the heart of it was a spiritual issue. It was an issue of the progress of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ in Europe. The spiritual darkness of Europe was being exposed to the light of Christ. And Satan was having none of it. So Paul and Silas were sent uh, before the magistrates. And the, re the reaction, the penalty applied by the Roman authorities was violent. Was even, you could say, uh, uncalled for. The crowd incited by this nationalistic uh, fallacy of the accusers. Oh, these men are Jews. These men are not, are not of our of our. Of our national uh, culture they were inclined to this and they rose up and they tore the clothes off of Paul and Silas and they flogged them and unlike in Jewish custom where there was a limit to the floggings no such custom of, of placing a number in the floggings existed in Roman law they ordered them to be beaten with rods and thrown into prison with all security, with, with high, very, uh, how does it say, with, a, with, a, with high security. They, they tore their clothes, they commanded them to be beaten with rods, and when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. To keep them securely. They're just a Jewish men. What did they do wrong? You might ask. They didn't give them an opportunity to, of defense. Again, contrary to Roman custom. And they sent them to, to high security prison. They sent them to, the, to, the, to, the, to the, what would be the equivalent of a, a high security prison of their day. We read that they were sent into the inner prison, the place where they had no windows, they had no, no, no access to the outer world, not, uh, outer world. and even then, they, they fastened their feet into stocks. Stocks would, uh, is a, a word that uh, is very ambivalent. You can translate it, the word behind it, you can translate it into many different words. But depending on the context, we can translate it better into English. So here, because the reference to feet is made, uh, it is translated as stocks, a, a piece of wood where your feet would be uh, chained to it. So why did they do this? Perhaps, perhaps these security measures uh, were motivated by what they had just seen uh, Paul and Silas do. If they are powerful enough to, to uh, cast a demon out of this girl... Oh, what, there's no telling what they can do when they get to prison. There's no stopping them using their magical powers. This is me uh, trying to put myself in the head of, uh, of those Roman pra uh, praetors, of those magistrates. Well, just put them in the most secure place of prison. Spare no expense. Be very careful with these men. They are powerful. They have this kind of magical powers. So that's why they get sent into the into the the maximum security uh, side of the, uh, of the prison, I believe. The information provided by Luke also helps, helps us to better under, understand what's going to happen 
in uh, after verse 25 we'll look at it next week but we see that there was a, a sudden earthquake that there was a, a sudden earthquake that set them free as they were singing praises and praying to God so these men these men were uh, scourged beaten they were put in an immense amount of discomfort pain even Paul uh, later refers back to these beatings and these uh, floggings he, in, to the Corinthian church when he writes to them he says three times three times I was beaten buffeted with rods And to the Thessalonians, he, he even says that he and his companions were uh, very ill-treated in Philippi, at Philippi. But it is indeed his re the, the reaction of Paul and Silas. I wonder why uh, Timothy and Luke are not here at this moment, how they escaped this. But it is uh, the reaction of Paul and Silas that, that I want us to look at. The reaction of these Christian ministers as they, as they endure this very trialing, painful ordeal. We read in verse 25, at midnight. At midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. At midnight. I don't, nowadays we don't uh, appreciate the... Uh, the timekeeping and how uh, life uh, would work in those ancient times where there was no electricity. Well, oftentimes we are uh, still uh, active and doing things uh, up until midnight. But in ancient societies, life would very much, uh, uh, daily life would very much stop and come to an end uh, if not at sunset, very uh, close to it, very, clo uh, very closely after sunset. That's how life uh, would work uh, in those cultures with no electricity, in those cultures with, with, with no um, access to modern commodities in ancient times. Just after sunset, everyone would go to bed. Everyone would cease their enterprises. At midnight, everyone was expected to be at sleep, uh, asleep for several hours now. Uh, yet Paul and Silas are not at sleep at midnight. I wonder if probably because of their pain, they were just bitten, uh, beaten and, and scourged. Probably because they were in an uncomfortable position as well. Can you imagine trying to sleep while your feet are, are, are chained to a, to, a, to, a, uh, to a beam of wood? Probably they were also concerned. They did not know what was going to happen to them tomorrow. They were just beaten, thrown into prison with no, without a, a righteous judge, uh, judgment, without a, a lawful uh, um, sentencing. I, I wonder if they were uh, perhaps wondering what was going to happen to them tomorrow. 
Are we going to die tomorrow? Perhaps Silas asked Paul, what do you think they're going to do to us tomorrow? They were imprisoned for no reason. In fact, their master, the Lord Jesus, was killed. They know the story of Stephen. Paul was present at the, at the murdering of Stephen. They know what happened to James not many years ago at this point. God knows what's going to happen to us, Paul says, perhaps to Silas. We don't know. Nevertheless, instead of murmuring, instead of complaining, instead of moaning, uh, instead of uh, uh, feeling self-pity, we read that they were glorifying God, that they were praying, that they were singing hymns to God, that they were very much in a, in, they were very much putting to practice those things that James speaks of as well. They were counting it all joy. We read that other prisoners were able to listen to them. I don't know if they were singing loudly, if they were singing uh, in, a, in a low-pitched voice so as not to disturb them. But we, what we know is that they were listening, that they were hearing, that they were paying attention to their words. It is possible that one or more of these might have come to faith. We don't know. But we know that they were doing this. In any case, it is a wonderful case of showing that with so much suffering, with their backs torn, with their limbs aching, Paul and Silas around midnight could still sing and praise God, could still pray. So they were not groaning. They were singing. They were not cursing. They were praising. What a wonderful lesson for us. And it, that is the lesson that I want us to understand this, this morning. As we draw to a close, there are a, a few lessons that we can draw from this event recorded by, by Luke from Paul and Silas. Firstly, uh, before we come to the main lesson, we see that oftentimes there is a relationship between financial uh, gains and, and religious superstition. Too often, false religions will do this. Too often, cults uh, are used uh, for uh, unseen purposes by unscrupulous people. Paul speaks to, the, to, to Timothy. He says that a uh, man of corrupt minds and uh, destitute of the truth who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. There is a relationship, even we see in our world today, between uh, the empire of darkness, between the, the, the superstition uh, uh, and, the, uh, and the use of, of cults and false religions, for financial advantage. 
This is one of the ways that Satan uh, tries to hinder, uh, to retard the advance of the kingdom of God in the world. Occultism, idolatry, polytheism, pantheism, secularism, all those kinds of isms not only represent sources of profit for dishonest people, but all at the same time there is a relationship, uh, a spiritual uh, warfare happening in that they are the instruments that, that Satan uses to work in the sons of disobedience of our day, as Ephesians 2, 2 says. The second point is that the sufferings of Paul and Silas, as we read in, in Acts 16, and this is an important one, unmask the fallacy and the lies of health and wealth prosperity gospel. Let me say that again. The sufferings of Paul and Silas, because of their faithfulness to the gospel of Christ, as well as many other biblical passages that we read the same thing, unmask the fallacy of the health and wealth prosperity gospel lies. You see, when you read scripture, the most diligent, the most faithful, the most uh, committed servants of God experience persecution. The most religiously pious men, they experience persecution and tribulation. They come under hardship and suffering. And yet, as we, we, we look into, the, into a spectrum of so-called Christian churches, you have churches out there that say, oh, uh, if you're faithful enough, enough uh, you will not come under any kind of, of, of hardship. Something doesn't add up, does it? Either they are wrong or the Bible is wrong. The Bible makes it clear that those who desire to live godly lives will suffer persecution. That through many tribulations one must enter the kingdom of God. So what is it? Not many months ago, I think I was in, uh, in the office on a Saturday and I overheard uh, a conversation in the foyer. And this was, was this one lady that uh, had a, struck a conversation with someone in this congregation. And I took the conversation on, and I was talking to this lady. She was from one of these uh, uh, health and wealth prosperity gospel churches. And as I said something along these lines to her, that actually, when you look at Scripture, uh, she expressed something about, oh, if you're faithful, uh, no, no evil will come to you. I think she were, we were talking about COVID and the protection from, from infection of, uh, with COVID. And I said, well, the Lord sometimes uses those things for our good. Oh, no, but if you're faithful and if you trust in me, nothing like that will happen. And I, and I kind of pointed her to Paul and all of this. And she said something uh, along the lines of, well, Paul, when he endured those things, it's because he sinned. Some Christians maintain that these kind of sufferings and persecutions, Christians, some Christians, uh, quotes, uh, maintain that when you undergo these things, it highlights some kind of sin in Paul and Silas's life. That had they been more faithful, had they been more righteous, nothing like this would ever happen to them. 
Those are lies. Lies of the devil. Again, lies of the devil. The sufferings of Christ, the martyrdom of Stephen and James, the CV of sufferings that Paul has, among many other biblical events, cast down that uh, lie of the devil. Christian faithfulness is not some kind of vaccine against suffering. Oh, if you're faithful, you have this veneer of protection against suffering. (laughs) Nothing could be further from the truth. You will undergo hardships. That is the, the reality. In this world, you have many tribulations, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world, Christ says. And that is the main lesson of this passage. How do we conduct ourselves when we face tribulations, when we uh, face adverse situations, circumstances, hardships? How do we react? Paul and Silas, they reacted by praying and praising God in the prison. Despite the humiliation that they've went through, despite all the suffering, despite all those, the, the pain they were under, they give us a wonderful, powerful example. Paul said that to the Philippians, to those that were uh, in this city, that he was just in suffering these things. He said to them in the, in the letter that he wrote to them, Rejoice in the Lord. I say to you again, rejoice. And he, sir, he says to them, I've learned to be content whether I have a lot, whether I have little, and whether in every situation I know to be humbled and I know to be honored. I know all of that because he says, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Why is it that Paul is able to say this? Because he learned that God's grace is always sufficient in all his troubles. He says to the Corinthians, my grace uh, that God said to him, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I will boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ might rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure, he says, in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. The example of Paul teaches us to boast on those things. To boast in our own tribulations. Knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. As uh, James says, or as Paul says to the Romans. In his letter to the Romans, from verse three to verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 3 to verse 5. He says, and not only that. But we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. Now hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So how do we do that? 
How do we count it all joy? How do we glory in those things? How do we boast in those things? How can we boast or take pleasure in those things? As Paul says, this would be enough for a few sermons, but let me just give you three uh, points where we can know something of that uh, counting it all joy, as James says it. First, we trust God's sovereignty. How is it that we uh, undergo these things? We believe in the Lordship of Christ over our lives. It is when we are convinced as Christians that not only the good things that happen to us, but our tribulations and hardships, uh, our persecutions, our infirmities, our financial difficulties, our losses, all those th- uh, all that door that closed off that we uh, thought there was the way forward. It's when we understand God's sovereignty and that all things cooperate together for our good. For the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. It's only then that we learn these things. That's why James, he says, if if any one of you lacks wisdom, let him pray. How is it that you can count joy? And then he says, if you don't know this, pray. Because it is a knowledge, it is the wisdom, it is the knowledge that God is there in control. That... uh, (laughs) Places that solid rock foundation uh, under our feet. Ignorance, in this case, will produce sorrow. But knowledge, wisdom, will produce joy. So firstly, we are to, go that, we are to know that God is sovereignly in control. The second point, perhaps, is that we are to have a correct perspective on life. And again, I'm, I'm kind of stealing here. Those that are in the book club probably will, will uh, see this point from the last, uh, last week's uh, chapter that we read. Um, but it, it's having a correct perspective on, on, the, on the finality of this earthly life. We need to have a correct perspective on, on life if we are to count it all joy. If our, obviously, if our perspective as we go through trials and tribulations and hardships, if our perspective is focused on this life and this life alone, we will never count it joy. We will never be able to understand those things as being uh, for our good. If our perspective is focused on this earthly life, our tribulations and sufferings will have a much greater dimension. They will become bigger and bigger. But when we understand, like Paul, that the sufferings of this present time cannot be compared to the glory to be revealed in us, as Paul says to the Romans. When we have that perspective that Moses had for the glory that was said me, that he saw, uh, and he, 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 he says in Hebrews that he did not want the riches. He'd rather have to be poor in the wilderness than have the riches of Egypt because he had his eyes on Canaan and the glory to come. It's when we see that. It's when we see that to live is Christ and to die is gain that we can look at tribulations and praise God even in a prison cell as Paul and Silas did. After all, as Jesus himself said it, where your treasure is, there is your heart. Where is your treasure then? 
And finally, the conduct of the believer in tribulations is proportional to the consciousness that he has the privilege of being co-participant in the sufferings of Christ. And I will close just by reading what Peter says uh, at the ending of his letter, the first letter. And I'll use this as my conclusion. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy.